वक्रतुंड महाकाय सूर्यकोटिस्म प्रभ निर्विघ्न कुरु मे दे सर्वकारशु सर्वदा फर्स्ट ऑफ ऑल आई ऑफर माई ओबिसंस टू द डिवाइन इन यू लॉन्ग अगो इन सिडनी आई वॉज डाइनिंग एट अ रेस्टोरेंट इट वॉज इन द कंट्री साइड्स there was a uh, quotation written there on the wall it said for many years i thought real life was about to begin that what i was living is not real life something big is going to happen in my life something substantial not this 9 to 5 drag not getting up every day even though i didn't want to get up going to work when i didn't want to go to work coming home tired going to bed tired waking up tired so i thought real life was about to begin but every time there was a bill to be paid there was a phone call to be made there was an email to be written there was always some unfinished business and then one day it dawned on me that this was real life all my life i'd been searching for some truth searching for some eternal happiness but it was nowhere to be found because it was never outside you can't find something where it does not is where it is not so i kept searching if you look at the aspects the most fundamental aspect <clears throat> fundamental aspect of human life it is where you are versus where you want to be everybody is somewhere if you are contented where you are then you begin to enjoy the journey until then we keep aiming for some destination we keep thinking we'll climb the mount everest one day but you can't stay there you have to come back so if there is no joy in the journey then the destination becomes pretty much pointless there is one virtue only if you could work on one virtue you will never find yourself worried again you'll never find yourself sad again because think about it we are all in search of some eternal happiness we always want the temperature to be at 20 degrees there are people i know who've been living in canada for 30 years 40 years every winter they still complain of snow they're still talking talking about weather so what is that one virtue long ago there was a king and he was suffering from st- some strange disease they tried everything the royal physicians but they could not fix his affliction so he consulted the astrologer he came he said well if you can find the most contented person in your kingdom and wear his shirt for 3 days you will be good your affliction will go away king thought this is 
piece of cake. So he sent his people around and said, go search for the most contented person. They all went around. But everybody wanted something they didn't have. Ones with houses wanted bigger houses. Ones with bullock carts wanted bigger ones. They wanted more cattle. Ones with land wanted more land. The ones with wealth wanted more wealth. There was nobody they could find who said, yes, I am happy where I am. And I'm grateful to God for all that he's given me. And I, there is nothing else I want. I'm just happy to enjoy the journey. I'm glad that I've got a fit body. I'm glad that my mind can think. I'm glad that I can breathe clean air. I'm just happy that I can eat a square meal. Nobody. Everybody wanted something. So they, came, they went back to the king. And they said, well, we couldn't find anybody. And king said, that's quite a sorry state of affairs. I've got a large kingdom. I'm very generous with the taxes. Go again, search. I'm sure there must be one person. They went again on the search. And they found one person sitting on the other side of the river. And they shouted, to that person. There was no bridge. How do we get to the other side? And that person looked at them and said, you're already on the other side. Everybody's trying to get to the other side, but from somebody else's perspective, you're already on the other side. So they managed to get across, and they said to the man, would you like some more wealth? more land, a bigger house. He said, no, I'm very happy. They said, there is nothing you want? He said, no. They said, we could offer you a position with the, with, in the royal court. He said, no, I'm happy where I am. And said, we are searching for you then. You are the only contented person we have found. And we need your help. He said, tell me, how can I help you? They said, we need your shirt. He said, why do you need my shirt? What for? They said, we need it for the king. The royal astrologer has predicted that if he were to get a shirt of the most contented person, he'll be okay. He said, I would have loved to give you my shirt only I don't have a shirt. I don't have any shirt. I find this story quite beautiful, if you ask me, because often we equate contentment with haves and have-nots. Often we start to think that if I have A, B, C, X, Y, Z, that will make me happy. But as soon as you have it, it doesn't make you happy. Now you're looking for more, and more, and more. But it is not an average person's fault. Because mind is conditioned that way. From the very childhood, we've been asked to be somebody else. We've been asked to train ourselves to be somebody else, to be better, to always aim higher and higher and higher and higher. In aiming higher, 
In living life that way, life just passes by. And we just keep on searching for something that we already have. There was an old man once. He sat in, among a group of people. And he cracked a really good joke. Everybody laughed. A few minutes later, he cracked the same joke again. People laughed still. A few minutes later, he got up and he said the same joke again. Fewer people laughed this time. And he got up again and he said the same joke again. Practically nobody laughed. They thought the old man had gone senile, that he couldn't recall any more new jokes. But the man said, you can't laugh over the same joke more than a couple of times, but you keep crying over the same problems all your life. If we cannot be grateful, and no matter how little we have, there's always something to be grateful for. If we can't be grateful, we can't be happy. The seed of happiness sprouts from gratitude. If you ask people what they don't like about their lives, so many times I've seen it, they can list 50 items right away. People they don't like, things they don't like, circumstances they don't like, situations they don't like. If you ask them what do you absolutely love about your life, they can list no more than three or four items. Because often we feel that it's the other person who's at fault. I'm reminded of a little uh, incident joke. There was this couple. They had been married for more than 40 years. So they were getting old. And the husband could clearly see that the wife was getting short of hearing. She was now hearing loud. And he tried to convince her that we should go and see some ear specialist, but she wouldn't agree. She said, no, nothing's wrong with me, I'm good. He had a friend of his who was a physician. He went to his friend. He said, how do I convince my wife that something is wrong with her? She can't hear straight. He said, oh, you do this simple hearing test. You go there, and from a distance of around 60 feet, you call out her name. If she actually responds, that means nothing is wrong with her. If she doesn't, you do the same thing from 50 feet, and then 40, and then 30, and then 20, and 10. Each 10 feet will signify 20% hearing loss. He said, okay, and he went home, and he opened the main door. He said, honey, I'm home. And there came no response. He said, what's for dinner tonight? There came no response. He could hear her that she was in the kitchen. And his heart pounded because he became sure that she's actually short of hearing now. So he went another 10 feet. At 50, he said, what's for dinner tonight? No response came. Another 10 feet, same thing. And he 
got to just 10 feet between her and him. And he said, can you tell me what are you making tonight for dinner? She said, what's wrong with you? I've already answered you six times I'm making pasta tonight. <laughs> he was so sure. Surety is often just an arrogant viewpoint. You're, you're so sure because you have a viewpoint. You're, so, you're, you're sure when you think based on what I know, this is how ought things to look. This is how they're supposed to look. This is what the other person should have. I always say if there is one word in the dictionary that could be eliminated, which will make people's life a whole lot easier, it's the word should. You should do this, you should do that. He should have done this, she should have done that. This is what we call turning inward. That your response, your answers, will not come from other people. They will only come from within you. If you are in pain, then you have to take the medication. Imagine you are going by the sidewalk. You are not at fault, you are just walking by the book, by the lore. Somebody comes from behind, stabs you and runs away. It was not your fault. This was this guy's bad karma. But if you are wounded, no matter whose fault it was, no matter who was wrong, whose mistake it was, unless we give you the, the medication, unless we put a band-aid on you, you won't stop bleeding. So when anybody causes grief in you, when anybody creates anger in you, when you feel you are being wronged, Trust me, you cannot change the other person. No matter how hard you try, it is not possible to change the other person. The only person you can change, and even that is so hard, is to change yourself. But you can only change yourself if you know what do you want to change into. And for that, you have to stop. You have to slow down and come to a complete stop so you can analyze yourself. So you can analyze where are you actually going in your life. Most people are so busy running. There is no time to, to sit down and just reflect. And they're not running from other things, they're running from themselves. You're watching TV, it's running away from yourself. You're reading, you're talking, over the phone, over emails, social media, you name it. Because you have, it allows you to forget about yourself. You don't have to deal with yourself. You don't have to ask yourself, where am I actually heading? What do I actually want from my life? You know, Einstein used to say, insanity is to keep doing the same things and expect different results. If you keep doing what you've been doing till date, you will keep getting what you've been getting till date. This world is like a stampede. If you don't run, it'll still pull you along. If you try to go against it, it'll crush you. If you try to run at your own pace, you can't because 
you are in this crowd. It's very congested. But if you step out for a moment, you will see the same people day in, day out. That's why, I mean, it's called the, the wheel of existence. It's turning, it's churning. You're the same, same people day in, day out, doing the same things day in, day out. If you're happy doing that, sure, it's a good thing. Go ahead, keep doing it. But if you're not, you are intelligent enough, you are capable enough, you are smart enough, you are wise enough to reflect on what changes do I want to bring in my life to be where I want to be. But remember, you have to completely stop, not slow down. It's not the same thing, stopping and slowing down. There was a guy, a driver, and he was driving. And there came a stop sign. And he just slowed down and passed through it. The cop pulled him over, he was watching. And he said, sir, do you know why you've been stopped today? He said, no, I don't know. It's the first thing that happens, a disbelief. When life gets you, when circumstances go adverse, the first thing that comes is disbelief. No, this can't be. He said, no, I don't know why I've been stopped. And he said, well, uh, you didn't stop at the stop sign. He said, yes, I did. And that's the second reaction most people have, is denial. They don't want to believe what they did. He said, yes, I did. The cop said, well, I was seeing you. you did not. You slowed down, surely, but you did not stop. And he said, well, you know, what's the difference? It was as good as a stop. I was watching the traffic. There was nobody, so I was being very safe. The cop said, no, that was not the rule. You have to stop for three seconds. He said, well, I almost stopped. And the cop went to his car, got his nightstick out, and started beating the man. And then he said, Sir, would you like me to slow down? Or would you like me to stop? <laughs> what would you like me to do right now? Slow down or stop? Now do you see the difference? Meditation is one of the methods of stopping. Imagine a wheel painted with seven colors of the spectrum. If it's spinning, you will think it's white because it is looking white. There is this illusion of white color it's creating when it's spinning. But if it comes to a complete stop, that's when you see, oh, there are actually a lot of colors in it. So when you keep on running, it's just all going to appear white. You can't enjoy the colors of life. You can't enjoy the journey. So busy, so, so worked up, so focused on getting to some destination, as if that will mean everything. There was this uh, really good philosopher, a Nobel laureate, an Indian, called Rabindranath Tagore. He once wrote a beautiful story. He said, I was in search of God. 
And if somebody told me he's in that shrine, that church, I went there. Somebody said he's in the mountains, I went there. People said you can have him, you can experience him through some saint, some sage, I went there. Wherever I was told, I went. All my life, I kept searching for God. And then one day, I got to this area, remote area in the mountains, where it was written, it was a little hut. Outside, it was written, God lives here. And he said, I took a deep breath. The door was slightly opened. I took off my shoes and I ran back as fast as I could because I thought if I finally find him, if I finally see him, what will I have to live for? The whole beauty of my life is, is that search. When you're driving, you're getting to some destination from here to Vancouver or, or Vermont. There is a freeway, there are trees on the side, there's flora, there is fauna, there are lakes, there are rivers. But when you're so focused on, I just have to get there, just have to get there, just have to get there, you can't enjoy the journey. I hope I'm able to get my point across how important it is to live by your own criteria. Surely with some common understanding, but living on your own terms. Unconditioned by society, religion, preachers, everything. The religion I was brought up in in the very, when I was a child, I kept thinking, yes, that's the only God. But as I met more people who were more evolved, they expanded my mindset. Just like metal expands in heat, your mind expands in warmth, in compassion. And then you start to see how conditioned We've been. Everything has been defined by somebody else. What is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. The question is, how do you begin? And where do you start? Ultimately, all of you must come to your own discovery of the truth. Do you know what makes you who you are? It's your habits, the thoughts, emotions. Those thoughts and emotions that are deeply ingrained turn into habits. They become reflex actions, they become automatic acts. One time, Buddha was walking with one of his disciples. A fly came and sat on his forehead and to show away the fly, he just did like this and kept walking and kept talking to his disciple. A few minutes later, he stopped and he did this gesture again. And his disciple, Ananda, 
was rather surprised. He said, O oh, sage, there was no fly this time on your forehead. Why did you do that gesture? I'm intrigued. He said, earlier, it was a reflex action. I did it without mindfulness. It was just automatic. Fly came, I did it like this. And then I realized I didn't do it consciously. Most of the actions that occur in human minds are reflex actions. They're hardwired in the brain based on the conditioning. One time Buddha was walking through a village and those people started shouting at him because he was an atheist. He said there is no God. His disciples became really furious that they are shouting at our master. But he remained quiet, composed, didn't say anything. After they were done for a couple of hours, he asked them, are you done? Because I have to go to the next village. And he proceeded to the next one. His disciples asked him, did it really not bother you? How come you were so calm and composed? They were shouting, they were calling your names, they were swearing at you. How come you showed no reaction? And then he said, if I offer you a gift and you refuse to take it, to whom does it belong? He said, well, to you. He said, they were offering me their gifts of words I did not accept. So how could it bother me? If you don't accept, how can it bother you? If I offer you a weight of 10 pounds, if you take it, now you're carrying 10 pounds. But if you don't take it, you're not carrying any weight. But there is too much weight on the consciousness. Weight of repentance, weight of regret, weight of guilt. But all of that is rubbish. That is only there to weaken you. The truth is you lived your life the way you thought it was right, given the circumstances. But when you are mindful, the reflex actions stop. You start to see, what can I accept and what do I have to reject? Once somebody wrote a, a letter to Gandhi and he was sitting there another person was sitting across the table when the messenger delivered the letter. He read the letter, it was two page, pages long, it had a pin. He took out the pin, put it aside, crumpled the letter and threw it in the bin. The man said to Gandhi, well, Somebody must have written with so much care and love. How come you treated his letter like this? You just threw it in the trash can. 
Gandhi said, oh, there was nothing. It was all full of abusive language. The man was calling me names in the letter. Well, why did you keep the pin then, he said. He said, well, that was the only useful thing in the whole letter. I have kept what I will reuse. I've discarded what I don't intend to reuse. So if you keep what you are going to reuse, you will find yourself increasingly lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. That's why angels fly, you know, because they're light. <laughs> if you experience that lightness from within, you will feel like you're flying. When you're too busy doing stuff, you don't realize how much weight is there. And when we do this meditation of 15 minutes, I'm sure you will, I hope, you will experience some lightness. Because you will get the chance to stop. Mind is always running. Always. There was a young man, he said to his father, who was on the deathbed, that, do you have anything for me? I'm just, I just get so angry sometimes. Anything I could do, should I be meditating? I don't want to get angry, but people are able to create anger in me. And his father said, no, you don't need meditation and you don't need medication. I'll give you a piece of advice. If you remember this, you won't get angry. You'll never hurt anybody out of your anger. There'll be no reaction from you. And he said, when anybody creates anger in you, anybody, at that time, please don't respond. You tell the person, I will get back to you after three days. Give yourself time. And if after three days you feel like showing the same reaction, it perhaps is the right reaction, go and show it. But not otherwise. One time a sage was walking by the Ganges and he had some disciples with him. At a distance, there was this couple, they were fighting, shouting. The wife, when she was taking a dip in the river, lost her gold necklace. And the husband was shouting at her that you never take care of things. You don't know how hard I worked to earn that. And she was shouting back, but you also lose stuff. I didn't do it intentionally and on and on and on and on. And the sage turned back asked his disciples, he said, do you know why people shout when they're angry? And they said, well, because we lose control of ourselves. He said, that's all good and great, but if I'm just this far from you, I don't have to shout. I can just speak softly, you still, you'll still be able to hear me. But why do they shout when they're angry? Nobody could give any plausible answer. And then he said, 
Well, you know, they shout because as soon as you're angry, your heart closes. And it creates too big a distance between you and the other person. If somebody is far, sitting far from you, at a distance, you clearly have to speak louder to get your, so to become audible. And that's why they shout. Because they have now created a distance between the other person and themselves. But when they're in love, when they're happy, two people don't shout, they whisper. The more intimate they are, the more they can almost whisper inaudibly and the other person is not even aware they're whispering but they're making a conversation. Because there is no distance. But when you are angry, you also create a distance from yourself. That's why it's possible to even shout over the phone then. So the more you lose touch from yourself, the more out of place you will feel. The more you look outside at other people for answers, for happiness, for joy, for things. Because now you're not in touch with yourself, you've lost connection with your own power source. And then we are hoping somebody else will somehow give us some backup. But they're too thirsty to give you water. They're too afraid themselves to give you any consolation. They're too hungry themselves. If you really believe you deserve something in professional life, in personal life, emotionally, spiritually, materially, and you're not getting it, you really have two choices. Either you move on, find that will fit your definition of, yes, I'm good, this is good enough, or stop complaining. Most people choose to keep on complaining and keep on living. The trouble is that it makes you negative. It makes you feel down, then you can't enjoy what's at hand. The joy disappears in that search that somebody else will come and some, they owe me this, the world owes me this. My partner, my husband, my wife, my children, they're supposed to do this, they're supposed to do that. In doing that, we lose sense of our own being, our very own entity. And how do you get in touch with yourself? Meditation is no panacea. It's not the answer to everything. It can sh really sharpen your mind. It can give youth to your mind, which will give youth to your body. Will give you radiance. Will give you the ability to penetrate into things, carry out deep analysis. Will calm your mind, will relax your mind. But it doesn't mean it will give you fulfillment. Your fulfillment is going to come from pursuing things that matter to you. If we were to plant Einstein under the Bodhi tree, he would not have gained enlightenment the same way. If Buddha were to be transferred to some lab, he would not have contributed to the society the same way. 
are we to say Einstein's contribution is any less than Buddha's? No. So when you pursue what matters to you, when you don't define your life, your search, based on somebody else's criteria, then you become increasingly independent. You gain this supreme independence of thought. And that sets the ball for everything else. Then you are not afraid to question. You're not afraid to be yourself. So where to start was the question, you know. Take baby steps. Just pick one habit that you would like to build and one habit that you would like to drop. Just spend some time finding out where am I going if this is where I want to go. If that is where I want to be. And then you will find that sometimes clinging on to things is not the solution. Even the most most visibly sensible things that we think, oh, we need to cling on to these things. We need to even live longer, even that desire. <coughs> there was a, a really old couple once, and they both died at the same time. They went to the pearly gates. They were greeted by St. Peter. He took them in, took them in both. He said, all your life you've done a lot of good stuff. So both of you deserve heaven. And he showed them around. There was this huge bungalow. He said, this is where you both will live. And the old man said, well, how much is it going to cost me? What's the rent? He said, oh, it's free. It's heaven. There is no charge. And then they, he took, him for, took them further to this golf course. Here's a beautiful golf course. You can play till the cows come home. What's the tea charge, he said. He said, oh, nothing. I've told you. It's heaven. It's free. He said, wow. Everything is free here? He said, yes, everything is free. Then he brought them to where they'll get their food and stuff. And there were, on the table, laid out most luxurious food items was bedecked with all sorts of wonderful stuff. And he said, well, this seems like seven-course meal is, must be very pricey. He said, you keep talking about money. I've told you everything is free in heaven. The man sat down there looking very stressed, his both hands on his head. And his wife said, honey, what's wrong? Are you okay? He said, if not for your bloody brand muffins, we would be here 10 years ago. <laughs> we'll be having this food 10 years ago. But you want even to live longer on earth in that pain, in that suffering. Even the most visible things we think we need to cling on to. That make every sense. If you just stop and analyze you will, your viewpoint may undergo a transformation. When your perspective changes, everything else changes. Your habits, yourself, your response, everything 
undergoes transformation. It all boils down to perspective. If you can see the world from the other person's perspective, there is actually not going to be any disagreement. <coughs> Suddenly you won't feel the need to, to say, no, this is how things are, have to be done. You won't feel that the other person is wrong. You will start to see how there could be two rights, how there could be two truths. You begin to see the world in a different light. And all you have to do to do that is try to be the other person. For that it requires certain inner strength. To let go of your stance requires somehow lowering your own ego. It is gratifying in the short term to hold on to your own ego and say, no, this is how things are. But it is far more gratifying, it is far more peaceful, it is far more satisfying to come to a common ground. Because when you make the other person happy, try it any day, you will feel happier too. So if you want to form any new habit in your own life, never make lifelong commitments because mind does not accept it. Mind is like a small child, a toddler. You need to take one day at a time. You need to say, for the next 24 hours, let's say you get, um, let's say you smoke, and you want to get off smoking. You say, only for the next 24 hours, I'm not going to smoke. I'm not promising by tomorrow and day after and day after. Only for the next 24 hours, I'm making this promise. I'm going to stick by this promise no matter what. When you do that, something strange happens. And that is, your consciousness, your mind, gains the strength. It starts to see that the person who's governing me is stronger than me. It starts to listen to you. That is the whole race. The mind does not listen to you. That is why we do things that we don't want to do. If only mind could listen to us, we say, you know what, calm down. If it calmed down, there'll be no, there'll be no fuss. So if you pick any habit and say, for the next 24 hours, I'm not going to do this. And then you can take a break the following day and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it from 24 hours to 48 hours to 72 hours and one day you'll be off it. And this is how to build a new habit as well. Start small. If you are thinking, I'm going to go to the gym five days a week, you may not be able to do it. You just say, I'm going to go to the gym no matter what, today. And then take the same resolution a day later. And a day later. You can do just about anything you can imagine if you progress this way. And that is the key to building any new habits to transforming yourself to the person you always wanted to be. 
Transformation is going to then click. It's going to be like the snap of finger will just come. And then you will find the new you coming out. The happier you, the better you.